What do you value? What do you find your significance in? Is it your money? The state of your bank account? Is it your possessions? Do you value your reputation or status, your career, your friends, your family, your marks in school? What do you treasure? Our youngest son, Troy, used to have a really small blue blanket. And it was really, really tiny. It was actually our oldest daughter, Eliza's blanket. It was passed down throughout our four children. But no one really embraced it like Troy did. It had a little rabbit on it, so he named it Babby. Until preschool, it was his dearest treasure. He would take it from one side of the world to the other side of the world. He loved it so much, we were always, as a family, worried about losing it. So everywhere we went, we'd always ask, where's Babby? Does does someone have Babby? Because we knew that if we lost Babby, we'd all be doomed. When he was a baby, Troy didn't want to do anything without his Babby. Take a walk without Babby? Go to sleep without Babby? Forget about it. But then it finally happened. We went away on a weekend trip, and when we came back, Babby was gone. We were looking everywhere, pandemonium in the Furman household. We asked our neighbor, we asked the security guard, maybe we dropped it on the way to the car before we left for the weekend. We looked everywhere. You would have thought we were looking for our prized family pet, but no, it was Babby. And we needed Babby. Troy was devastated. Not even ice cream would cheer up our three-year-old. But then later that night, the doorbell rang. And it was another security guard. And there in his hands was our beloved Babby. And we all rejoiced and we all celebrated. Babby was back. Now, not every story has a happy ending like this one. But this one did. And we all got sleep that night. Every child has something that they treasure. Could be a toy, maybe a ball, Legos, a doll, a book, a trophy, football cards, a game, a collection. I mean, it could be any number of things. But here's the thing. We adults are the same. Treasures may look different, but we all have treasures, things that we think about all the time, things we lose sleep over, something we think we just can't live without, an object we love or are pursuing. We all have a babby in our lives. We all have something that if we lost it, it would be devastating to us. What is it for you? Is there anything you're treasuring that if you lost it, it would destroy you? At the center of everyone's soul, there's something that's precious to us. Jesus is going to say that for many of us, that treasure is money. 
Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, Pastor, that's not my problem. I don't treasure money because I don't have any money. Well, you might be tempted to just just sit back today, right? Maybe take a little nap today. I'm going to be looking out this morning for anybody snoozing in the congregation. If If you can see my face from the back row, then I can see your face there in the back row. And I'll be looking out today. Don't doze off the way we live now. Even if you're a teenager here, the way you live now will dictate your future. So whether you're 15 or whether you're 65, you need this word. We all need this. Um, Others of you may be thinking, okay, pastor, uh, not only do I not have money, but I have debt. I have minus money, negative money. Money is not an issue for me. Maybe that's you this morning. But friends, the poor can be just as greedy as the rich. We can all yearn for more of what we don't have. And who's to say that we're not rich anyway? 40% of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. So the majority of us, if not all of us, are receiving a salary in the top half of the world's salaries. Isn't that amazing? And compared to what life was like hundreds of years ago, in a time without refrigeration, a time without air conditioning, it means most of us are living like kings in comparison to those in the past. But here's the thing. No one thinks they're rich. Even the rich don't think they're rich just because they can point to somebody else who's more wealthy than they are. I've I've heard people speak around me, people that I consider to be extraordinarily wealthy. I hear them speak about other people who are who are rich, the the rich people. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. Um you're rich. <laughs> Did you know that? But no one ever feels rich. The more you have, the more you want. I've heard it said that money is like salt water from the sea. The more you drink it, the thirstier you get. Have you noticed that the money you have is never enough? Now, you don't have to have lots of money for money to have control over you. The rich can be greedy and the poor can be greedy. The problem is we just don't think we're greedy. People set up meetings with me all the time as a pastor. They have all kinds of issues. They phone me up or text me about family issues or marriage issues. Many of, many of the congregation needs jobs right now. Others struggle with depression, anxiety, even lust. But no one phones me and says, Pastor, I'd like to set up a meeting to talk to you about something really, really important. I'm greedy. Help me. I love money too much. I want to strategize with you as my pastor about how I can give more money away. I hardly get calls like that. Well, maybe this lack of recognition of our greed is the reason Jesus talks about money more than anything else. About 15% of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the Gospels of Christ, 15% of Jesus' teaching is about money and possessions. That's more than his teaching on heaven and hell combined. Jesus says things like, it's easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. On one occasion, Jesus commands, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Another time, Jesus says to someone, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, Jesus talked about money all the time. Well, why does he do that? Well, I think it's because eternity is at stake. So it's not surprising that here in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been walking through this sermon over the last several months. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to finish it off. I think six or seven more sermons. And right here in the middle of the sermon, in the middle of chapter 6, Jesus is going to pause, and he's going to talk about treasure and money. Even the next passage on anxiety kind of revolves around that same theme. It's not surprising that Jesus would bring this up. So if you're taking notes this morning, three points that flow out of this text. Number one, Jesus is going to show us two kinds of treasure. Two kinds of treasure. Number two, we're going to see two kinds of sight. Two kinds of, of sight or seeing. And then number three, two kinds of worship. So treasure, sight, and worship. Jesus is going to show us there's really just two ways to live with regards to what we're treasuring. And first, number one, there are two kinds of treasure. Look with me at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The original meaning of treasure was a box or a hole in the ground where people stored their precious possessions. It's your valuables, but also your ambitions and interest. Any earthly thing you value. And when looking at our passage and the next one on anxiety, it seems that Jesus has money and possessions primarily in view. Jesus uses two examples of wealth to show their fleeting nature. Expensive cloth was a sign of wealth. Even the poor handed down their garments from one generation to the next as an inheritance. People would store their garments safely in order to protect them from being ruined by moths. Precious metal has always been a source of wealth. Rust is a word that means eating. It refers to the eating away at metal or even something eaten by worms or rats. And even if your treasure wasn't eaten, someone could go ahead and steal it. Thieves regularly would dig through the, the clay walls of people's homes in order to steal their valuables. Nothing was safe. This Monday night, many of us stayed up late watching the news. We stayed up late watching videos of the massive fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Built 800 years ago, the most famous Gothic cathedral had a wooden roof that has 
amazed architects for centuries. And while it burned, art and stained glass windows were destroyed. Parisians lined the streets heartbroken that their national treasure was being burned. Nothing is safe. Not the treasures of years ago and not the treasures of today. We can do whatever we can to protect our monuments, treasures, and belongings. We can have banks and safes, but we can't be guaranteed that our efforts will work. Money, possessions, and treasure is never safe. Proverbs 23, verse 5 says, Cast but a glance at your riches, and they are gone. For they shall surely sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. I mean, what a picture. Next time you yearn for a possession, just imagine that possession flying away. Imagine that car, that TV, that jewelry or shoes or whatever it is, just flying away like a little birdie, never to come back again. And even if somehow throughout our entire life, if we're able to accumulate and accumulate, if we're able to protect our possessions and valuables safely, even if we can manage somehow to do that, we don't get to take them with us when we die. Museums are full of possessions that wealthy people left behind. Jesus says, stop putting your emphasis on fleeting pleasure. Instead, invest in a second kind of treasure. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus doesn't say stop searching for treasure. He actually says we should all be treasure hunters. His point is, Look for treasure that's guarded by God. Treasure that will last. Our problem isn't that we're treasure hunters. Our problem is that we're hunting down the wrong treasure. In this life, the stock market or your local currency could crash. Your home could be devalued. Your business partner could steal from you. But heaven's economy won't crumble. It's the most stable economy in the world. Heaven's treasure is the best investment we can make because those riches are guarded by God. What are heavenly treasures? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly in these verses, but as we look through the Bible, we see a variety of things. Colossians 3, we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Ephesians 1 says these riches and treasures are immeasurable and unsearchable. God lavishes them upon us. These treasures are a clear conscience, a life without fear, a life without guilt or condemnation, a life without anxiety or sin. There won't even be temptation to sin. It's a full 100% desire for God. Pastor John Piper says, treasures in heaven is the increasing of your joy in God in heaven. Well, how do we live for heavenly treasure? Well, it's anything a believer can do that they can take with them beyond the grave. It's a growing Christ-like character. 
It's generosity, humility, it's discipleship. It's the saving of souls for Christ. I mean, think about this. You share the gospel with someone and they come to faith in Christ. You now get to go along with them to heavenly glory one day. I mean, what a joy. Your ministry service builds heavenly treasure. It's the care for the poor. It's the love that you extend. It's the forgiveness that you give. It's suffering for Christ. It's walking with God. It's anything you do for God. It's good done here on earth that has eternal significance. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was once a medical doctor to the king of England. He was on the team that served the head of England, but he left that role to pastor, to lay pastor a small church in an industrial town in South Wales. It was a shocking change to everyone. And when asked about giving up the money and the fame and the connections, he replied and said, I gave up nothing and I received everything. Now, Lloyd-Jones understood that living for treasures in heaven was more than a fair trade. Friend, how about you? Which treasure are you choosing? Jesus says the treasure you choose reveals something about you. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you prize the most will have your heart. You are what you love. The object of what you treasure will eventually change your heart. You are what you worship. Now, this is so important. Friends, don't miss this. Don't miss this. What occupies your thoughts when there's nothing else to think about? What are you most anxious about? What do you dread most losing? And how would you finish this equation? If only I had blank then I'd be happy. If only I had this one thing, then my life would be complete. Then then it would be okay. If I could just get this, I'd be happy. Oh, Redeemer Church, where is your treasure? For that's where your heart will be. Well, it's difficult to answer these questions because when we seek earthly treasure, We don't see clearly. It blinds us. That's the second point today. Number two, two kinds of sight. We've seen two kinds of treasure. Now we see two kinds of sight, one that leads to life and the other to darkness. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What's been said that the eye is the window to the soul. A healthy eye indicates a light within. Your eye is your ability to see. If your eye works, then you can move around easily. 
Those who treasure God in heavenly riches see everything for its true worth. You can see what's right. That word healthy actually has a double meaning. It also means generous. It means you're always looking out for how you can help others. And the word bad also means stingy. So whether your treasure, whatever your treasure can either, whatever your treasure is, it can either help or hinder your ability to see rightly. When you're seeking heavenly riches, you see the world through God's eyes. But when you're stingy and self-seeking with your money, you can't see reality and your whole life is unhealthy. Your eyesight is eventually blinded by the earthly treasure that you value. So maybe it's time to do a bit of an appraisal of your life. You can do this later today. It's a, a brief exercise. Just take out a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper, draw a line down the center, just down the center, making two columns. And on those two columns, first on the left column, you could write down a list of earthly riches. Just riches in this life that you won't take with you, earthly riches. And on the right column, make a list of heavenly riches. Those things you get to take with you, fill them up. It won't be hard to do. You'll be able to fill up both lists. You'll look at the, the heavenly uh, riches side. And there'll be lots of good things, even on the earthly side. Some of the things won't be bad. They just are not lasting. And I want you to look at both of those columns, look at both of those lists, and ask yourself this question. Where's my heart? What gets me excited? Is it the earthly list? Or is it the heavenly one? Is it the earthly treasures? Maybe we're blinded by the fact that we're blinded. You just, can't, you just can't see. You think you're walking in the light, but you're really walking in darkness. And greed will do this to us. This is why Jesus says to watch out for greed. Jesus never warns us, watch out, you might be committing adultery. If you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. A person engaged in adultery is never shocked and says, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait a minute, you're not my spouse. Of course not. You know that what you're doing is wrong. You're committing adultery. You know you're committing adultery. But Jesus has to say, watch out for greed. Watch out. You might be greedy. It's because greed hides itself. It blinds us in a way that adultery and other sins don't. Well, this is important for us because greed and our love of money drastically affects us. If light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It clouds our whole lives. The way we handle finances affects every other part of our lives, either for good or for bad. If you have a divided interest on God and on possessions, you have no real clear vision or sight. You're going back and forth with competing visions for your life. It's a divided interest. Well, friend, if you're sitting here, having listened to all this, and you still think this passage has nothing to do with me, if you're thinking to yourself, this isn't a problem of mine, well, then perhaps you have a problem. 
Perhaps you're blinded to your greed. Now, if that's you, I can relate. I used to think I didn't have this problem because I never thought about money. I hardly ever worried about money. I didn't think I cared about money. And then last summer happened. All of a sudden, one day, I started thinking about our finances and had a bit of a panic attack. One that lasted about two months. I was, I was anxious. I had trouble falling asleep at night. And I wasn't worried about whether God was going to provide for us. I was anxious because I had regrets, and I thought I could have had more money. I was equating having money with finding security. And it was depressing. And all of a sudden, I was finding myself thinking about money more than I was thinking about God. And I couldn't figure out how to stop. It was a battle and a fight, one that I'd never been in before, and I needed help. Well, how about you? Maybe you've never had anxiety attacks over money like me. But do you think too much about your bank account? Are you checking on your investments all the time? Are you surfing the internet looking at purchases you'd like to make? I mean, every day you're thinking about your CV, just adding to it so you could get a higher paying job. Do you think about your net worth, all the money you have or the money you don't have? Do you think about what other people are worth financially? Do you resent wealthy people? Do you look at them and think, oh, I, I'm better than them. They got lots of money. They're, they're lovers of money. I, lo I love God. I'm better than they are. Or maybe you admire wealthy people. You're in awe of their status and their wealth. And you love it when they talk to you and when they invite you to their home and when they include you in their life. It makes you feel good. Now, both of those responses show that money has power over you and affects you. Well, here's another question. How do you respond to poor people? How do you respond to those who are poorer than you? Maybe have a, a job with less status or acclaim than you. Do you look at them with respect? Or just somewhere deep down in the recesses of your heart, do you think, just, just even a little bit, that you're better than them? Well, I think it's wonderful here at Redeemer that we're a multi-ethnic church. I don't know, we have at least 50, maybe 60 different nationalities gathering together every Friday. This is wonderful. We love it. But maybe another question to ask is, are we a diverse socioeconomic church? And to some degree, sure we are. In, in theory, we are. We have certain people here that make a lot less money. We have others that make a lot more money. But do you love those in a different socioeconomic class than yourselves, those who make more than you, those who make less than you? Do you spend time with them? Are you friends with them? Like, like really friends, like sharing your heart, like spending time together and getting involved in each other's lives. It's one thing to be gathered in a room together on Friday, but it's another thing to get into the personal aspects of our lives. How's your heart towards them? 
Are you envious of them and all of them, or do you spite them? Do you see them as brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, here are a few other questions you can ask yourself to see if your sight is blind. Is money the primary filter in your decision-making? Do you decide what to do based on only financial considerations? Not that it shouldn't be a criteria, but is it your primary criteria? Have you chosen a job you don't like, one that you're not even good at, one that takes you away from your family? Why? Is it solely because of the monthly salary? I mean, have you thought about taking a lesser job in your home country for family or gospel purposes rather than following through on your dreams to get wealth or even to obtain citizenship elsewhere? Is money the primary cause of anxiety in your life? Do you have consumer debt? Do you live above your means and so your credit cards are maxed out? Do you spend more time thinking about buying new things than you do studying scripture? Are you always strategizing for the next investment but not praying to God? Do you pray for discernment in your purchases? Or do you just go ahead and buy whatever you afford? That's a sign from the Lord. If you have the money, you just buy it. Or are you actually asking God, do I need to spend this much on this item? Do I even need this item? Everything you say yes to financially is something you're saying no to with the money God's given you stewardship over. Here's another interesting question to ask yourself. Do you talk to anyone about your financial situation? I mean, does anyone know how much you give to the church financially? Do you have accountability in your giving? Does anyone know your debts? Exactly. Are you truthful in talking about it? Or do you conveniently round down your debts out of embarrassment? Or do you conveniently round up your debts to garner attention or get loans? I love that about 50 of you took our finance course over the last five weeks. I want to encourage you to keep learning, to keep growing. I want to encourage us as a church to be open about our finances, to get accountability, to get help, to get mentorship. Well, do you find it hard to, to give financially? Well, giving is a great window into whether our spiritual sight is healthy or diseased. Do you make a plan for your giving, or do you just give what's left over at the end of the month? Do you give generously? And the Old Testament speaks of a 10% offering or tithe that went to the priestly class. Here in the New Covenant, in the New Testament times, there's not a single percentage that's listed, but it would seem that in this New Covenant, 10% should probably be a, a starting point this side of the cross. Now that we've seen the radical generosity of Jesus, giving a tenth of our income should probably seem like a, a small, small sacrifice when we see the love of God. Is your giving sacrificial? I have one close friend who cashed out his retirement account. It's similar to an end-of-service giving, and he cashed it out and gave the money 
to see the Bible translated in a dialect in Ethiopia that had no Bible. Now, not all of us are called to do that, but if your giving doesn't really affect the way you live, then perhaps it's not a sacrifice at all. How about, how about this question? Is your giving cheerful? I mean, I think of the boy who sticks his hand in the cookie jar, but it gets stuck there. His mom tries everything, soap and, and water, and she's, she's pulling his arm out. They just can't get his hand out of the cookie jar. And so mom can't think of, of anything else, but she grabs a hammer, and she's going to take the hammer and smash the cookie jar to get his hand out. But as she's going about it, and before she does it, the boy cries out, stop, mom, would it, would it help if I let go of the cookie? Well, of, of course it would, because he could slide his hand right out. Now, friends, it's just like us. We need to be willing to let go of our money, knowing that it's God's money anyway. We need to let go of it, not reluctantly, but to give freely out of a cheerful heart. We need to pray that the Lord would give us a giving heart instead of a grasping heart. Now, if any of these areas are a struggle for you, could it be that you're blinded to this problem? Could it be that you need to hear Jesus' warning to watch out for greed? Could it be that your sight is actually darkened? Well, if you don't recognize your blindness and get help, your treasure will demand your worship. That's the third point today. We've seen two kinds of treasure. We've seen two kinds of sight. Number three, two kinds of worship. There are only two kinds of worship. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, it's interesting that the word for money here is literally the Aramaic word mammon. The King James Version actually says you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus is using an Aramaic word which isn't translated into Greek. Why is that? Well, it's because mammon was the name of a pagan god of wealth. Matthew is highlighting the supernatural power money has over us. It has the power to be your God. You can either worship the God of money or the true God, but you can't serve them both at the same time. You can't serve competing rivals and enemies. You either use money to serve God or you'll use God to serve money. That's it. Those are the two options. It's impossible to have two competing masters. You can either worship what's fleeting or you can worship what's lasting. When my family visited Rome together, we looked at lots of different sites, but the one that was perhaps most startling was a small little church nicknamed the Crypt Church or the Bone Church. Now, this church is unique because it's decorated with dry human bones, dead bones, hip bones are used to make various murals. Ankle bones were used to make chandeliers, leg bones, arms. There's a wall 
covered with hundreds of human skulls. Each room in this church covered from wall to wall, ceiling to the floor, covered in dry, dead bones. It felt uncomfortable. It was, it was even eerie. And long ago, monks decorated the church in this way to remind themselves about the brevity of life. And so they'd go into these rooms, they'd sit in these rooms, and they'd look at the bones. And they would reflect on the fact that those bones were once like them, alive. But that one day, they, the ones alive today, would be like them, a bunch of dry bones. They would meditate on their fleeting life and how they don't get to take anything with them when they die. Well, the point, live for what's eternal today. You're not going to stay on earth, so why work hard to build treasure here? During my anxiety attacks about money last summer, I knew I had to do something. I mean, how was I going to fight these temptations? Well, I had to continuously fill my mind and heart with thoughts about God. I had to remember God's promises about generosity, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the biggest thing I did was to start memorizing and meditating on Scripture all throughout the day. And so that those nights in the summer for those two months when I couldn't fall asleep, I was anxious when earthly treasure was on my mind. Instead, I started memorizing and meditating on Scripture all throughout the day, but then also as I went to bed at night and as I laid down, from the moment I laid down, I would start reciting to myself all the memory verses and passages that I had memorized until I was so tired that I fell asleep. Well, friend, try that for a year, and I guarantee it will change your life. You'll want to think about God and His Word and His promises more than anything else. It'll be addictive for you. Well, how do we get to a place of breaking the power of money in our lives? There's only one way. You have to have a better treasure. You have to be treasuring something greater. That's the only way. You'll break the power of greed in your life only when you see that Jesus is a greater treasure. Because you'll see that while Jesus had the ultimate treasure, he left ultimate status. He left security as the Lord, as the Lord of heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. He left. He left the riches of heaven and he came to this earth. He had it all, but he came to earth. And what happened? Well, he was utterly stripped naked of all his possessions. He left the treasure of heaven. Why? Well, he died so that you and I could be saved. He was crucified so we could have real treasure. We had all rejected him and served the wrong master. We were all addicted to the gifts instead of the giver. We were all in love with the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts. But you can't serve your greed and your God at the same time. We try to find joy in money and possessions. We thought they could make us happier than God. 
The Bible says because of this sin, we deserve death and judgment for sinning against a holy God. And we incurred a debt that we could never repay. Now, some of you are in financial debt. You can work it off. For some of you, it may take you a while, but you can pay it off. There's a way. But our debt to God is one we can never repay. With God, we are simply beggars. But here's the thing. When we ask for mercy, that's when God forgives. When we recognize we can't pay the debt, that's when he pays it. And the world doesn't work like this. Debt collectors don't wipe away debts automatically just because you ask. Maybe some of you have tried this. Now, they may lower the debt a little if you promise to pay something immediately. They don't wipe it away. But if you come to faith in God, he wipes away the entire debt that you owe. There's nothing you have to go and do after this church service to be saved and forgiven. Jesus died on the cross and his blood 2,000 years ago made the payment for you and I. He covered the debt you and I owe. That's the good news of Good Friday. That's the good news of today is that that debt has been paid, that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus died to give you a greater treasure. Now, friends, you have to fight your love of money with the promise of a greater reward. You have to realize that because Jesus was willing to lose treasure so you could be his treasure, when you see that, it frees us from being consumed with earthly treasure. This is the only way we can be freed from our greed. It's the only way we can be freed from our love of money. Well, friend, if you've been consumed by earthly treasure... You're experiencing the consequences now with a, a mountain of debt and a memory of regrets. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. There's hope. Pursue Jesus and live for his glory. He can turn the greediest heart to be the most generous one. He can conquer your earthly debt and your heavenly debt. He can make you the generous person you were created to be. And if you're here this morning and you've lost your job, don't have work, don't have a paycheck, maybe you feel like the world is over, maybe you feel like you're stuck. Oh, friend, look to Jesus. Look to him and he will satisfy your heart with a greater treasure. The treasure of heaven died to give you the treasure of heaven himself and the riches of glory, peace and freedom from sin, no pain, no tears, no disease, no death. And one day we'll be gathered worshiping together with all the saints from all times and all places, a treasure greater than gold and more precious than diamonds. Now, we can fight greed together, Redeemer Church. We can fight greed and a love of possessions when we see Jesus as the treasure of heaven and as the treasure of our lives. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, our debt has been paid, and it's been paid in full. And Jesus paid it all. 
All we owed was covered by his blood. There's not another treasure like him. Oh, would our church be so enamored by his love? Would we be so enamored by Jesus that we would forsake all the lesser loves this world has to offer? Would we seek after heavenly treasure and be consumed with eternity now and forevermore? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.